The reading is from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, Jordan. I, uh, I love it when Jordan reads the scripture. It's like hearing from God himself, you know. <laughs> we appreciate it, Jordan. Thank you. Uh, if you're new, my name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're doing things a little bit different today. We are going through this series, uh, We Want a King. Uh, we start Solomon today, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. I'm going to explain it in just a second. Um, Redemption Church, one congregations, one of the things that we do uh, is we have a pastoral resident program. It's different than um, an internship. We, we have internships that last for a semester, usually maybe two semesters or maybe nine months, something like that. Uh, a residency, uh, pastoral residency is, is different. Uh, it's a three-year commitment. It's kind of like patterned after the idea of a medical residency. Uh, you're really going to roll up your sleeves and, and, and get into some really serious uh, ministry leadership. Not that internship isn't serious, but uh, the residency has a much higher uh, level of demands uh, uh, for what you're going to be doing in the church. Uh, in the history of Redemption Arcadia, we have had four residents. We had, uh, the first one was Sean Myers. How many of you remember Sean Myers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, as I like to say about uh, uh, Sean, he's the son that I never had, and I'm the grandfather that he never had. So um, anyway, Sean is leading a church now in Glendale called Pella Communities, and he's still uh, just a big part of my life and, and really close. And then uh, David was our second, David Massey, a guy named David Massey was our second resident. And uh, David has gone on uh, for the last five plus years, and he is uh, a chaplain in the United States Air Force, and we're going to get more into that in just a second. Our third resident is a, I don't know if anybody you know, remember who this guy is. His name is Trey Fraley. Um, he was our third resident, and uh, he is now uh, and has been for the last several years, uh, fully on staff as our next-gen pastor and just killing it here, doing a great job. 
so that was our third resident. And our fourth resident is now in his residency. His name is Zach Hines. He's right over there. Would you stand up, Zach, so everybody knows? Okay, so, yeah. And so, um, uh, Zach is a drummer, so I guess that's about, you know, anyway. I love drummers, but here, here's the thing, Zach. I just, okay, so uh, we have a church planter. He's planted two, two churches. We have an Air Force chaplain, and then there's Trey, so no pressure on you, okay? So at, at any rate, uh, David and his wife, Lydia, when they were here, just very much loved here. How, there's so many people I know that are here that remember uh, David and, and Lydia and are here, especially even because you guys are here today. Uh, I'm proud, very proud that you're serving our country now. It's one of the things that um, just encourages me so much. And I've always wanted to be able to do what we're doing today. Um, five years uh, uh, later, uh, just come up and kind of do a dueling pastors with me, an interview. So please welcome David up to the platform. And uh, make sure your mic is on. Test. Yeah, yeah. okay, good. Go. So... Um, there are many people here who remember you, David, and a lot of you that don't know who sure. you are. And so we're going to start, if you just give us kind of the three to five minute David Massey story, if you do that. Sure. I know it might involve um, heavy metal rock and roll and Lake Havasu. So and top, anyway. And Top Gun. And, to and Top Gun, yeah. yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so I'm David, um, and I just want to say before we get started here, thanks a lot, Frank. Sure. It means a lot. And um, this was our community for years, and we, we love uh, all of you. We don't know all of you, but it's just really good to see familiar faces. And so, yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, grew up in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. Um, the, the scene there was not really my vibe. I got involved in church, and if you know Havasu, then you know what I'm talking about. Um, I got involved in church, but hated church and really didn't want anything to do with church because I wanted to be Maverick. <laughs> uh, I did. I, like... My parents took me to see it in the theaters back in the day, and I'm that old. Uh, I was two when it came out. And that's wild. And it, that's okay because I want to be Brad Pitt, so we're in good shape. <laughs> Fight club. So, I'm sorry, you, you could pull it off. N no. Yeah. No. Get into some jujitsu. No, he would just laugh. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be Maverick uh, like many little boys did in the 80s and 90s. And I thought for sure I was going to be a fighter pilot, but then um, growing up in church, I eventually heard the gospel and realized my sinfulness and needed to turn to Christ. And so I became a Christian at 16 and really felt called to ministry. And so my desire to be in the military got put on the back burner and really got eclipsed by my ministry pursuits. And so I um, went to school in Southern California and then came out here to Phoenix and went to Phoenix Seminary. I think there's some Phoenix Seminary people here, so right on. Yeah. I see you. Well, one. Uh, <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Uh, while I was at Phoenix Seminary, I started going to Redemption Arcadia at the old uh, spot in right. Thomas in 2011 and got involved and just really loved the community, lived in that area at the time. Um, and let's see, 20, 2014 came on staff mm -hmm. as, a, as a resident. Um, and... Uh, met Lydia in 2015. Well, we met, met a little bit before that, but really started dating seriously in 2015. And then uh, Frank married us in 2016. And shortly after that, I felt like, okay, the residency was coming to an end. And I went, whoa, I could, I could merge these two things that I love, the military and ministry. And so um, commissioned in 2017. And our first duty station was in San Antonio, Texas. 
Uh, there we had both of our kiddos. If, uh, I think there's a photo of the family if you, if you can. Um, that's James, our four-year-old, and Lily, our two-year-old. And we're doing a little pumpkin patch. Um, we found out after we named them that I guess James and Lily are <laughs> Harry Potter <laughs> characters. I didn't know that because I'm a Christian. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I don't watch those movies. <laughs> Sorry. We, did, we did. I, t I take that back. I, there's nothing against Harry Potter. I just didn't know that. And um, we, we love them. They're not with us today, which is wonderful. Um, <laughs> We love them, but they party really hard, and they make us crazy, so we left them in Spokane. We just set a little dish of food out and said, get after it. So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Our sister, my sister is watching them. Okay. So. Yeah. She lives in Spokane? She does, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so you're in Spokane now. What's your assignment? You're a chaplain for? So I'm a chaplain at Fairchild Air Force Base, assigned to the 336 training group, which is the Air Force's Combat Survival Schoolhouse. Okay. We teach. And I know, I know Lydia will love this. Lydia, will you just please stand and acknowledge it so people know who you are? Yeah. She's. Yeah, her favorite thing, I know. I know. She's the real heavy hitter, though, because I'm out, like, having fun at work, and she's, you know, mom's respect. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. So um, part of what you did when you were a resident also was uh, you taught, as an adjunct instructor at GCU, you taught Christian Worldview, a, a big and important class there. Um, Tell us a little bit about how that also helped shape who you are, teaching Christian worldview at GCU. Sure. Yeah. The, teaching Christian worldview was a passion because there was an element of apologetics, there was an element of theology, but then there was this element of real life because it's how do you, how do you make sense out of reality? And when you run your experience through the lens of who God is and what he wants from us, things start to click. It doesn't mean you have the answers for everything, but it, it, things start to click in a way you go, okay, I don't know everything, but I know the God who knows everything, and, like, that frees me to live for him, you know? Yeah. And it's made me better, I think, as a chaplain, because um, I'm a chaplain to all, but I'm a pastor to some. Yeah. And so being in that capacity as a chaplain, I can understand how to relate to people who are skeptical of the Christian worldview. Yeah. yeah. Good. Okay. Um, and out of that, uh, one of your... As far as I'm concerned, one of your clear strengths is Bible teaching. Mm. You're a good Bible teacher. You love teaching it. You preached here uh, occasionally. Um, what makes you passionate about This is a three-pronged question, I think. What makes you passionate about that? What are your favorite things to teach, and how has that helped shape you? Um, the passion behind Bible teaching, I think, is rooted in when I became a Christian and started reading the Bible through the lens of faith, not through... I had to go to church, but like the Bible actually meant something to me. It started speaking to, I mean, we know this, this is not a surprise, right? As Christians, like you read this book and it speaks to your soul. And it, there are days where you read it and you feel like it's reading you and you're like, how did God know I needed to hear that, you're right? Yeah. Uh, so that passion was kind of developed in that. Um, my favorite topics, probably apologetics and biblical interpretation. Yeah. Um, and how that has shaped me today is to just I think it helps me to be a, a better dad because I can, like, have conversations with uh, my four- and two-year-old about God. And they're pretty elementary conversations, but when you know, um, when you know the scriptures because you, you love them and they speak to your heart, it flows out of you into your kids. And yeah. So that gets me fired up. 
Yeah, it, you know, you got a sharp mind because you remembered all three of those questions. That's really good. I appreciate that. I didn't have to re-ask it. I was actually going to go like this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Next service, I'll be my dad brain will kick in. I'll okay. Be like, oh. <laughs> so, uh, when you were at Redemption Arcadia, we were at the old location. Um, there was a sort of a story that developed uh, there uh, involving a homeless woman named Jessica and her yeah. mother Kathy, and uh, some uh, really difficult uh, times for both of them. Uh, and interestingly enough, just a few weeks ago, we got an update on that. We consider it a God story. Yeah. Can you kind of frame and tell a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, so on a Sunday after second service, uh, Frank was approached by uh, a woman named Kathy who was just despondent and was going through a crisis and said, my daughter has been hit and run over by a bus. She's in the ICU. I'm, I'm not even from here. I'm from Colorado, but I was on my way to the airport. I felt led to just go to church and, and, and pray for her. Would, would you come visit her? And Frank, ever leaning forward and like eager for ministry, said yes. And then you, you invited me and said, hey, do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so we went downtown, and um, it was as bad as it sounds. She had been hit by a bus and then run over. She, she was run over, and then the bus stopped on, on top, top of her. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she was badly burned. Badly burned, and, and she had got caught up in the wheel well and went around yeah. a few times. Yeah. Like, it was wild. And so we went and, and prayed for her mom and prayed for her and um, had kind of said, would you like for us to continue this, this pastoral care? And over those weeks, we went back. And at one point, they did some surgery on her to do reconstruction because she had been so wounded. And it was Mother's Day. And I got a call from Kathy and said, something went bad. She's not going to make it. Can you come? So I said, yeah. And Josh Prather was with me at the time. Yeah. So we went together and we got there and I'll never forget the awful bedside manner of the doctor who just on Mother's Day looked at Kathy and said, she's not going to make it. She's hooked up to a ventilator. We have her alive by machines. She's not going to make it. And um, Kathy just kind of looked at Josh and I and said, okay, we'll pray. And I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> so the doctor went back and we prayed and um, Josh uh, Josh stayed with the, uh, the family in the waiting room, and I went back into the ICU and prayed. And long story short, uh, Jessica opened her eyes that afternoon, and she made a full recovery. And it, it was a long road of recovery to, to learn to walk again and to really you know, get, get stable and off she, drugs. She had a total of 10 different surgeries in the burn center. Was though. it that many? Yeah, it was that many. Uh, she was in the Maricopa County Hospital that has an right. excellent burn center, and they had to do all kinds of uh, surgeries for her. But she right. ended up having like 10 surgeries before they let her out. Yeah. She was pretty resistant to our ministry and to the gospel, um, but we just kept loving her and, and talking to her. And eventually she got on her feet, literally, metaphorically, and, and lived her own life and had kind of just strayed from her parents and did her own thing. And I had kept in touch over the years uh, and then discovered last week I got a phone call and I don't recognize this number, and I usually ignore that because I think it's spam, but I just said, hello, and she goes, hey, this is Jessica Carlson. I don't know if you remember me, and I, immediately the light went on, and she goes, I, I live in Phoenix now. I was living in Colorado, and I'm just really trying to find a good Bible church. I live out in the Northwest Valley. Do you know of any? <laughs> like, I about fell out my chair. I was like, hold on a second. Like, I, I, I was texting you, I think, as I was talking to you. Like, you'll never believe this, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I was so encouraged that she 
said, I want to give my life to God, and I need a community of people to do that with. And I was, yeah, uh, check out, right? Redemption Pure. Redemption Pure. Redemption yeah, yeah. And um, so I called Frank, and it was such a sweet story of redemption. Because we didn't know, really, if she was going to walk with the Lord or not. And um, the Lord is just so faithful to pursue yeah, people. I, I always got the sense that she appreciated everything we did for her, but that Jesus wasn't for her. Correct. And so for her to call you and ask you where can she find a good Bible teaching church yeah. in the Northwest Valley was like, uh, and this is what, seven, eight years ago yeah. that all this happened. And, and when you text me, um, it just reminded me that God's story is never over. Yeah. We think it is, but it's never over. It was just out of the blue and I was so encouraged by that as well. And the connection that you made specifically with her family mm -hmm. uh, that you have kept up over the years has been awesome. Yeah. And really good. I, I love that story. Thanks, Frank. Yeah. So um, now tell us about your work as a United States Air Force chaplain. What does the average day look like for you? What do you enjoy the most? And what are some of the trap doors in your work? Yeah, so uh, five years ago, commissioned, went to San Antonio as our first duty station. And I'll be transparent with you, that first few years was pretty rough because I had to learn how to be, uh, we were fairly newly married at that time, about a year. And I had to learn how to be a chaplain an officer, uh, uh, a husband, and a dad. And, and it was like all these hats and in a new place, and we didn't have our community, which was y'all. And it was just, it was tough, it really was. Um, but through that kind of trial by fire, I uh, gained bearings, learned, grew, uh, went to good Christ-centered counseling and learned more about myself and about our marriage and strengthened that to the degree that like, now we are not on autopilot, but we're enjoying each other and enjoying life. And so um, I'm very thankful for, for that learning experience in San Antonio. Uh, now we're in Spokane, Washington. I'm assigned as the, the chaplain for this, what we call SEER Schoolhouse. Um, SEER stands for Survive, Evade, Resist, and Escape. It's a standardized curriculum for joint personnel who essentially are being trained for the worst day of their life. Uh, if they get shot down, and they are evading the enemy, or if they're captured by the enemy, we train them. I, I don't train them in those specific skill sets, but I play a role in helping them, inspire them with faith in the midst of captivity and survival and how that plays a role. So average day, uh, there's a little bit of admin, a little bit of email, but for the most part, I get out of my office as soon as I can, and I get into the, the units, as we say, into the, into the groups and build relationships. And so um, my boss is the group commander, and. Uh, he was new when I was new at this assignment. I said, what do you want me to, what's your priorities for me, sir? And he goes, get out there and build relationships with the guys. Be there with them. Um, ask them how they're doing. And I, you know, that's my wheelhouse. Like, I'm yeah, super extroverted. Yeah. Like, let's go. And yeah, so yeah. Uh, that's what I get to do is they pay me to be a missionary in a secular organization. I have a cross on my uniform. And I go, uh, there's some pictures if you want to roll them through. I go camping in the woods. Um, I go flying in helicopters. There's splitting some wood there with a uh, fixed blade knife and did a little hoist there, but that's below the helicopter. Um, I, and I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting these relationship opportunities where uh, men and women who maybe wouldn't come into church are going, hey, chap, can we talk? I got some stuff going on, right? I, I, need, to, I need to talk. Um, and it's an absolute blast. So, um, yeah, the, the, uh, the ministry that I get to do is probably the best in the entire Air Force Chaplain Corps uh, because I don't have to run a desk. I don't have to do a ton of admin. I get to just um, fly in helicopters. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, not sad. 
<laughs> uh, did, I, did I miss anything on that one? Uh, any trap doors? Yeah, there's, there's the potential. You know, one time I was prepping a sermon, and I wanted to make the point that Jesus was neither a, a Democrat or a Republican. And my boss at the time had just gave me some feedback and said, hey, I get what you're trying to do, and it's good, it's well-intentioned, but, like, it could be misperceived. Maybe just don't say that at all. And I was like, oh, okay, I wouldn't have known that. Because um, you and I, in a civilian capacity, we can say that from the stage. Um, but in uniform, I have to be careful because somebody might misinterpret that as partisan. And okay. So, um, but that doesn't mean that I ever have to shy away from talking about Jesus. Like, okay. I had a misconception early on that maybe I couldn't talk about Jesus. I had to be sort of a universalist, and it, that's not the case. Yeah, um, right. They, people know that he's a Christian chaplain. They're not surprised when the Lord comes up in conversation. Yeah. So Jesus isn't a Democrat or Republican. Correct. He's a rabbi. Right? Yeah. And you know what I didn't do okay. here? <laughs> he's a rabbi. I should have said this on the, on the front end, and I'll try for the second service, but I, I'm speaking today in my capacity as David. I don't represent yeah. the United States Air Force, the DOD, or any of its components. I may have memorized that. Or the Department of <laughs> Treasury. <laughs> yeah. Or the IRS. Anybody. Okay, yeah. 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 Anybody. All right. Um, the SEER training, you actually, you didn't necessarily have to, but you went through the SEER training, didn't you? I did have to go through some components okay. of it um, to be able to speak to some of the experiences that they would have. Um, but there were some bonus things that I didn't have to do that, that I did choose to do, and it was yeah. super fun. One thing that I got offered to do that I'm not going to do is one of the guys at Arctic Survival School in Alaska was like, hey, do you want to come and live for five days in the ice? And I said, I'm from Arizona. Full stop. Like, yeah. no. And then he said, so am I. And he's from Chandler, and he actually went to high school with my wife. And I was like, oh, no, now I got to go. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I went through the full iteration of SEER. One, one, other, one other little thing, and this is, well, two other little things about that. So I've always known you as somebody who, first of all, doesn't drink coffee and doesn't really like hockey. So I don't know how you're making it in the military, <laughs> first of all. Yeah. But second of all, the SEER training, uh, Jackie and I have a, have a nephew who just went through SEER training. He's, yeah. he's stationed in Virginia. He's a, he's a fighter pilot and, and uh, just went through it. And they shipped him to Spokane to do that. And it wasn't until after the training that I was, that summer when I was with him, that I put it together that you were together with our, our nephew. That was uh, kind of cool to be able to make that connection. Yeah, I wish I had known him. And yeah. he remembered you, and you remembered his mustache, essentially. Is yeah. Kind of how He looked that like went. Rooster from the new Top He Gun. did. Yeah. He looks exactly like yeah. Rooster <laughs> from the new Maverick show. So, yeah. Uh, that's right. So, um, let me see. Check notes. Okay, so here you go. What, what do you think your future looks like, and what's the most encouraging thing about the gospel to you? Yeah, we, I was talking to Steve and Ann Wheeler about the future, and um, we, we rotate every three to four years, so I'll be in this position for another two years. Um, I'd like to, you know, hold with a, a loose grip uh, my ministry calling in the Air Force, but the Lord could call me elsewhere, and I don't know. So I found that when I white-knuckle things in life, the Lord changes plans, and so I'm trying to just... Yeah follow him faithfully and see what's next, but um, that's not to be vague. I hope to get into a, a, an, another chaplain role later that's maybe on the pointy end of the spear um, with, with guys and gals who are uh, really bringing the fight to the enemy and uh, doing our nation's business. Because yeah. we're in a training world right now, which is a blast, um, but the, the real stresses of combat and or the potential future combat um, is, is something that I want to serve them as they go out and take care of that mission. Right. And what's the most encouraging thing about the gospel to you in the midst of that? That it's always true, no matter how chaotic our world seems. Yeah, right. Um, 
I appreciate you saying that when you white knuckle things, when you hold them too tightly, that's when yeah. it becomes most difficult. I, it, t it took me years to figure that out and learn Same. that. Yeah. And there's so much freedom mm -hmm. in being able to live a life like that and, and trusting God. It doesn't mean we don't have purpose. doesn't mean that we don't have a calling, but, mm. but to hold it loosely is a, is a really good thing. So um, I'm going to ask a question, then I'm going to answer it. Okay. Okay. And, and it's going to be a really awkward way to set up uh, the passage uh, uh, that Jordan read for us uh, today, because I want to talk a little bit about that today, because it's, it's about wisdom, and I think that's a really good message for, for us today. So um, what do you think is the most challenging thing coming for Christians, especially Christians in America right now? And, and here's how I would answer it. Um, the world around us, and I would say even many, many Christians unfortunately, people in uh, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, gospel-centered churches, Christians, um, unfortunately, uh, the world and many Christians have decided that we no longer need to tether our lives mm. to anything real, mm. to anything concrete, to anything that's true, uh, that, that everything is a construction, that we can make anything to be anything that we want it to be in our own minds, in our own feelings, in our own passion. Uh, if we think it's true, say it's true, believe it's true, then we can make it true. And, and we're going to ask other people to affirm that it's going to be true. And, and really, uh, the more we do that, I feel like the more we're just lost, the more we're lost without uh, what, what one pastor has at one time described as our true north something that is concrete, something that is real, something that anchors us. And so recently I heard it actually described uh, this way by a guy named uh, John Stone Street. Some of you might know his ministry, and I found it really helpful. He said, right now we live in a culture where if you were uh, dropped in a 100,000-acre forest in, in a place that you'd never been before, you didn't know anything about it, and you're dropped right in the middle, and, and you were dropped there blindfolded, and you take off the blindfold. You have no idea which way is north, south, east, or west. You're completely, completely lost. And somebody hands you a compass. The problem is, is that in our world today, that compass always points at you. It doesn't point at north. And so by always pointing at you, you're always going to be chasing after yourself, which means you're always going to be lost. Yeah. Because you're not tethered to anything real because we've decided that we're not even necessarily real. We can just construct ourselves uh, anyway. That's a powerful um, what? illustration. Yeah, I yeah. think it's a really good illustration of, of what's happening. Um, uh, the same guy also said this. You, many of you, you, just play along with me. You've heard this saying before, ideas have consequences. consequences. And then he says, the problem is, is that bad ideas have victims. And so right now we're living in a culture where bad ideas are also being impressed bad ideas that are not tethered to any truth are being impressed upon us. And really what we're doing is we're just creating victims, uh, whether we realize it or not, and that's a bad thing. And so we really, see, very awkward segue, but we could really use some, some godly wisdom in the midst of this. Oh, certainly. Don't you agree? So, um, so King Solomon, David's son, he's introduced now into our story. We're starting the five weeks on Solomon in this series. And, and, uh, and God comes to him and says, you can have whatever you want, you know. Now, most of us are like, you know, Solomon's not that wise because whenever 
somebody who has the power to give you anything you want or, or give you any wish that you want, uh, what are you supposed to ask for? Well, I want a hundred more wishes, right? And Solomon didn't ask for that. <laughs> he, instead, he decides to ask for wisdom, and he chose wisdom specifically so that he could govern uh, God's people well. He wasn't even saying, I want wisdom so that it benefits me necessarily, but I want your wisdom so that I can govern your people really well. But, but then I just read this story, and it seems like the context is so strange. This is on the heels of Solomon making an alliance with a foreign nation, Egypt. It's on the heels of him marrying the daughter of Pharaoh, so marrying a foreign woman as part of that alliance. So he's placing his faith now in the strength of a nation state rather than in God. And, and it comes on the heels of this. Uh, we also see in this passage, and we're going to see it a lot more through the rest of this series, and I'm going to talk about this in a couple of weeks during our, our sermon series, but he talks about how his father, uh, King David, was blameless and righteous before the Lord, and just last week we talked about his most David's most grievous sin cost 70,000 lives, uh, of, well, more than that, of, of his people, so that's, that's confusing, and yet the punchline to all of this, and, and what I think we should glean from this is that the wisdom of God is more valuable than anything else in the world. Yeah. And that's hard for us to fathom in this, in this culture and in this world that, that we all live in. Uh, so some questions about wisdom, and I'll just start, go ahead. Let me jump in real quick. Yeah, There's something sure. there I was thinking about. This, the way that that context flows of like chaos into, oh God, I need your help. Like that resonates with me. Yes. Uh, and I think with many of us, um, I think through the lens of being a dad, it's in the moments of, oh man, I just screwed up. Like I was too harsh or I was, you know, uh, too condescending or something that I go, wait, it, after that chaos settles that I go, God, I really need your wisdom. Cause like, I can't do this, this dad in, in that context, this dad thing on my own or fill in the blank with whatever. Um, we need that desperately. And that often comes in the wake of junk. Yeah, and, and it, it, we could even go back to creation mm. and talk about that. It, it's a question I've always asked myself, and there is no answer for it, but God creates, he, out of the chaos, we're told, in Genesis, he creates this ordered world. Oh, yeah. And then in Genesis 3, the original sin immediately disorders, I mean immediately, everything is disordered and there's chaos, and God comes to them and he says, where are you? And, and I've always wondered, what if instead of blaming Eve and God for what happened, Adam had said, God, I really need you right now because I've created chaos now yeah. by my sin. What, what, what would have happened there? We'll never know, of <laughs> course, and God has a plan for that, and that's that Jesus is coming again, and that's good. Sure. Um, but here's some questions about wisdom, um, and this is one of the reasons why wisdom is kind of tough, a tough sell as well, because here you go. Does pursuing and understanding the wisdom of God guarantee that we will never suffer? No, of course not. Um, when I was in seminary, I heard one of my professors say it this way. Um, people avoid pain and pursue pleasure. Wisdom is learning to accept the presence or absence of both. And I went, oh, oh yeah, that's good. And that was at Phoenix Seminary. Yeah. yeah it was. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> it stuck with me. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I wrote it down or not, but like people pursue uh, pleasure and avoid pain, but wisdom is learning to accept the presence or absence of both. 
Um, and I would maybe tweak that a little bit and say, and wisdom is not just accepting it, but having joy in the midst of it. Yes. Whether there's yeah. pain or pleasure, right? Right. Because that comes from the spirit. Be because you know that Christ is sovereign right. over all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So then, does pursuing and understanding the wisdom of God guarantee that we will always be admired and lauded by others? No. <laughs> no, certainly not. Right. Uh, and there are times where you meet people and for the first time, and you probably introduce yourself, I'm Frank, and I'm a pastor, and they just kind of look at you like, why would you ever want to be a pastor? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. And why wouldn't you do X, Y, or Z? And I get that from time to time. They're like, why do you want to be a chaplain? Like, who cares? And... The wisdom of God is not the wisdom of humans. So. Yeah, and, um, and, and Jesus says all the time, he says, you, you know, you got to be careful of, of seeking after the admiration of human beings as opposed to the admiration of God, the pleasing of God, and the trusting of God. Uh, so that's another thing. What you said it just absolutely resonates with me. Um, I do a lot of weddings. Oh, sure. And so, and I love it. It's a privilege, and, and I enjoy it. Uh, what's always interesting to me, though, is that it, no matter what you do at a wedding, it, it's never an entirely gospel-centered, Christ-loving crowd that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's at the wedding. And so when I go to, like, a rehearsal dinner or the reception, I'm always curious who I'm going to be seated with. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. The, I've had those times where you, you walk up to your table at the reception and everybody's laughing and partying and having a great time. And then the pastor sits down there. <laughs> and I'm like, please don't let me interrupt whatever's going right. on. No, you're going to interrupt it. You know, <laughs> it's just like, whatever it is. You they know. hadn't heard your dad jokes yet, though. What? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, then they just throw me out for the bad dad jokes. Um, so, yeah, that's, that is definitely a struggle. Um, I, I don't, how many, how many, a lot of you fly commercially, so I do that too. And I have this, I love evangelism, I love Jesus, and I want to tell people about Jesus. But um, when I'm on a plane, there's just something about being on a plane that I just want to be by myself and I want to read. Anybody else like that? You just, <laughs> yeah. suddenly you're an introvert on a plane. That's, that's what I am. And, and I, so I have this sort of nonverbal communication that's pretty clear to most people. I get on the plane, I find my seat, I open my book, and I'm all closed up like this, you know. <laughs> and I was, I was flying to Las Vegas. I was teaching a class for Fuller Seminary, the other yeah. it's a seminary. Um, I was teaching class for them up in Vegas on weekends, and I was flying up on Friday nights and flying back Saturday nights. So flying up on Southwest Airlines on, fr on Friday afternoon, actually. You know what it's like flying to Las Vegas from Phoenix on Friday afternoon on Southwest Airlines? It's not American or United. This is Southwest, okay? I, I got on, I sat down in my seat, and I've got my book out, and I'm reading, and here comes this young guy, and he's just bebopping around, you know, and everything. And he decides he wants to sit next to me. And, and I mean, he's so excited about going to Las Vegas for his first time, I found out later, for a bachelor party. Oh, okay. no. Uh, so it was like beginning of hangover, the whole thing there. Anyway, and so, and so uh, he's so excited about it that he wouldn't even let me get up out of my seat to let him in. He, as I started to get up out of my seat, he kind of pushes me down and climbs over me. And he's just sitting in his chair like this, you know. And I'm, I'm not reading my book, but I'm looking at my book. You know, <laughs> I'm looking at my book. But I have a shutdown line. 
I do. I have a shutdown line when people want it. So he start. He, he realizes I'm not going to talk to him, so he starts talking to the woman in, in the seat in front of him, and she finally says, this is hurting my neck. I can't talk to you anymore. So he, he slaps me on my arm, like hard. He says, you going to Vegas? I said, yes, I hope so. And I, and I don't know if you know this or not, but the research shows the second question that people always ask on a plane when you're trying to get to know you is, what do you do for a living? I have a shutdown answer to that. If I feel like talking to people, I say, well, I teach communication in the community colleges around Arizona. Oh, okay, yeah. But I have a shutdown line. And, and I told, I gave him my shutdown line. I said, I'm the pastor of a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church in Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> that usually shuts things down, right? Yeah. You know? And he said, oh, that's cool. My dad's a pastor in Florida. Closed my book. Put there you it go. And I'm telling you, this kid took one breath and spoke for 45 minutes straight. I don't think he made it back alive. I'm not, you know, just, but, but anyway, I, I get that. I mean, you, you, you know, you, you say, Tom Schrader, our founding pastor, used to, he loved golf and he'd get uh, hooked up with a foursome somewhere, you know, and, and then they'd find out he's a pastor and then nobody would say anything the rest of the round, you know, it's just like. It's really hard. So you're not going to be admired necessarily and lauded uh, yeah. by others, and, unless you're going to Las Vegas. Well, and I think so. of <laughs> <laughs> Carl Truman said something, I think, 10 years ago. Um, and if you've, if you've read it, maybe correct my summary of it. But he said something like, uh, in 20 years from now, it won't matter for you as a Christian how relevant you think you are, how right. cool, how, how, how many tattoos you have, or what urban gibberish you can spout or what art house movies you've seen. Um, if you, in 20 years as a Christian, maintain traditional uh, biblical worldview, specifically in regards to human sexuality, you will be regarded as a white supremacist of the 1960s. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I hope he's wrong, um, but I'm going to continue to say what the Bible says and um, that God's love is available for everybody and um, that we ought to repent and trust him in every aspect of our life, to include our yeah. sexuality. But, um, but we're not lauded for that if we maintain a belief that God has the authority. Yeah. People hate that. Yeah. But Jesus said, you know, in this life you're going to have tribulation, but uh, take heart, I've overcome the I've world. overcome tribulation. It's one of the things that I do admire about reading the church fathers is that, you know, they knew that speaking the truth would probably bring persecution, and they were okay with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, la last one before we get into some other questions. So then, does pursuing and understanding the wisdom of God guarantee wealth the way it seemed to have for Solomon? You know, it's interesting that yeah. Solomon asked for wisdom, and God re kind of rewards him hmm. with all this wealth. So is that going to happen for us? Is that our ticket? No, certainly not. Yeah. Um, look at his model of what do I need in this moment to govern these people and I'm sure money could have helped because he can outsource and pay people to, he can delegate his authority and responsibilities but instead he just said God I really need your wisdom right your knowledge applied yeah and that is what Israel needed at that time as well was to have somebody in that way of course he didn't stay on the path of godliness but um, it, it shows us that 
even when we ask for wisdom. We've got to keep asking for it. Mm -hmm. We've got to keep pursuing it because it can be elusive. Not that it's some mysterious knowledge, but that if, if it's knowledge that we don't apply, uh, we're, right. we're done. Right, and, and you know, you can, you can have all the money in the world, but yep. if you don't have wisdom, you, you're gonna be rid of that money pretty quickly. Sure. So wisdom actually is the ability to use the resources God has given you, however little or however much, in a way that honors and glorifies him and helps the most people mm. as well. So yeah. I think that's, that's an important part. So, so if, if, but if wisdom doesn't give us any of these wonderful things, what is the value of wisdom? It brings us joy. It brings us joy. It brings us joy, yeah. Be because when you're living right, in accordance with God's will, you don't have the added anxiety that the world brings. Yes. And I see this a lot in counseling where I'm doing a, you know, a sort of a solution-focused counseling and people are coming in with, with heavy issues that they're dealing with, um, especially young airmen who, you know, they're 19, 20, and they just, they don't know how to live. And, and I think to myself, well, your stress is increased because you're living without wisdom. Right. Your stress goes up when you walk in darkness, but if you live in the light, like, life is good. Yeah. Not that it's easy, but it's, there's freedom in that joy of just knowing God is at the center of my heart and everything flows from that, right? That's a great perspective. Yeah. How, did, how did Jesus embody the wisdom of God? He was so multifaceted. I don't know how to answer that. Like, there were times where he That's did why it with, I asked you. because yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, he had meekness at times, and then other times he asked snarky questions in return to the, to the professional religious people. Um, other times he showed the anger of God when they were desecrating the temple and he's flipping tables over. Um, and then other times he's just like, hey, no, disciples, don't forbid the children from, from coming to me. And he's just loving on kiddos. So it's all over the place, really. Yeah. Like, ultimately, though, well. Okay, go ahead. You know, yeah. you know the cross. I, I think, yeah, I think you have to go there. Yeah. So the reason is because people look at Jesus on the cross and think that's foolishness mm -hmm. but it was actually the wisdom of God being lived out when he went to the cross yeah his whole life and his death and his resurrection are contrary to the wisdom of the world yeah like think about that this guy gets murdered and then he comes back from the dead and stays not dead I don't know anybody that does that and right and then he says all authority belongs to me and go and make disciples follow yeah. me right and we do that be because he's alive. And then, and then Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, the cross of Christ is a stumbling block to the Jews mm -hmm. and foolishness to the Greeks. Mm -hmm. But to us, it's the power of God. It's the power yeah. of Christ. And that's, and that's where that wisdom comes from. It's, it's countercultural. It's counterintuitive. It's, it turns the world upside down. Mm -hmm. So my last question, my favorite question to ask, all these questions. Was there a question that I did not ask you that you wish I had asked you that I wish you wish I had teed you up for that? That what what would that question be and how would you answer it? No, not really. Um, if we revisited one of the questions and we combined some of the themes of of um, wisdom and right living with the gospel, right? So I think of you. You asked me earlier. Um, what do you love most about the gospel? Was that the question? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my response was that the gospel is always true, even when things are really awful. And I think, you know, there, there, things could get more awful in life. 
uh, it, it's becoming increasingly evident in our culture and just around the world. Like, we have two choices, uh, Christ or chaos. And I, I, I look at that and I go, I want to have the moral courage, which is sort of the, sec the other side of the coin of wisdom. I want to have the moral courage to trust God even when things are really hard. Um, and there's a story that, that I had heard when I went through survival school that really inspired me. And I thought, if I can connect that to the gospel, it's even more powerful because Jesus has all authority. But essentially, the story is this. Um, in 1969, uh, during the Vietnam War, there were uh, a bunch of prisoners of war in a, a POW camp in North Vietnam. And on the evening that... Uh, the Americans had put a man on the moon in Apollo 11, the North Vietnamese had heard the news because it was international news at that time. And the North Vietnamese captors went to the men in the camp and said, hey, look how much your country cares about space exploration. Look how much effort and resources and money they've put towards putting a man on the moon, but they don't care enough about you to come and get you out of this POW camp. And you can imagine just how uh, deflated their morale was. But... Um, The senior ranking officer of the camp said, uh, tonight, men, uh, line the fence. And it was a fairly starry night, as the story goes, and they could see the moon. And, and he said, he said, line the fence. And he called everybody to the position of attention. And he said, men, if there is an American on that moon, there's an American flag on that moon. And they rendered a salute to the moon. And I hope, but it gets better, right? Like, go, yeah, go America. <laughs> Imagine if we, as Christians, when it doesn't matter how low our morale is or what culture throws at us, Christ is on the throne. So let's go, you know? Like, if we have that kind of moral courage in the midst of a, a society that says, choose chaos over Christ, um, if we choose Christ, his name will be made great and the topsy-turvy nature of his wisdom will be shown, I think. That was the best question I asked you was the one I didn't ask you. <laughs> That's an amazing story, an amazing perspective. Thank you for that. Thanks, Frank. So we want to pray for you, and then Tyler's going to come up and lead us in a couple more songs as we move into uh, communion. But um, if there are any uh, pastors, staff, deacons, elders, anybody want to come up here? all these faces, yeah. friends and family that we, and a lot of new faces too. It's really special. Steve, would you mind? Let's lay hands on, on and yeah, Lydia, come on up. Let's lay hands on them. Sure. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to, to see David and Lydia, uh, hear about their adventures, hear about their walk in faith, the lives that they're impacting. Um, the missions uh, that they're successfully completing, and, and then tying it all back to your eternal word, world and word. Uh, the wisdom that we talk about here is the wisdom of the ages. Uh, it was wisdom then. It is equally wisdom now. Uh, help us to rightly understand that. And you know, Wisdom is oftentimes having a right understanding of what's going on around you 
and then being able to apply biblical principles to that in a way that serves your people and glorifies you. So help us not to make wisdom complicated, but, but simple, simple to understand, perhaps hard to apply, but simple to understand. And then let us always look at that as our, our true north. Uh, please bless Lydia and David as they go about their, their future activities. Know that they go with the love and respect and encouragement from us. Uh, bring them back soon so that we can see them again. Uh, and uh, for all of us, thank you for the chance to gather together so that we can hear your word discussed, taught, explained, uh, and then send us out today encouraged and inspired by the time we've spent together. In your son's name we pray, amen. amen. Thanks, thank you, Steve. Thank you, David and Lydia. Would you please thank the Masseys for being here today? So uh, we're going to go into our time of reflection uh, and response. If our communion servers would please come forward as Tyler leads us through this time, uh, we're going to be we're going to be taking communion together together uh, on that last night when Jesus was betrayed. Uh, gosh, sometimes you know you read and you read and you read and then you suddenly something jumps out and you go, oh yeah, I've been forgetting that for 20 years. Um, when Jesus instituted. Uh, the Lord's Supper, when he's with his disciples, when he took the bread, I, I always forget this. The first thing he does is he gives thanks. I never tell you guys that. But the first thing he did was he gave thanks. He gave thanks. And then he said, this is my body that's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then later when he, take, he took the cup, and again, he gave thanks to his father. Thank you, Father, for this mission that you've sent me on. Thank you for the purpose for which I have come. Thank you for these disciples in this community. And he says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. It's my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. So when we come, uh, we come giving thanks as Jesus did. So let's do that now.
without any peak, an ocean without any shore. This is the heart of my King. It goes on and on evermore. A wellspring of wisdom and truth, a river that never a path through the woes of this world, a promise to walk by my side. He is infinite, limitless, matchless, magnificent, boundless and measureless, perfect in holiness. Words can't explain him, no book can contain him, the greatest of treasures to find, and he's mine. 
a shepherd, a shepherd who cares for his sheep, a righteous and trustworthy friend, a father who faithfully sees his promises through to the end. Oh, how could I not worship him? He is infinite, limitless, matchless, magnificent, boundless and measureless, perfect in holiness. Words can't explain him, no book can contain him, the greatest of treasures to find. And he's mine. honor and praise. You're worthy of honor and praise. Sustainer of everything. No better, no higher a name. He's faithful and mighty to save. Sing that again. He's worthy of honor and praise. Sustainer Matchless, magnificent, boundless and measureless, perfect in holiness. Words can't explain him, no book can contain him. The greatest of treasures to find, and he's mine. Amen. Church, it was great to worship with you this morning. I want to read this as our benediction. As we head into the week, let this be our encouragement. It says in 1 Corinthians 1, And because of him, that is God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Arcadia, we love you. Thank you for worshiping. Go and live all of life, all for Jesus. We'll see you next week.